Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank you. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your perfect word. And God, there have been, through the ages, attempts to invalidate or neuter your word. And none have ever been successful because the flower fades The grass withers and dies, but your word endures forever. Father, this is not a perfunctory, obligatory, we sit through the message time. This is a time to hear your voice. This is a time to receive directly from your hand what you have for us individually and corporately. And while we should not forget to tremble, Let us also rejoice as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. May your Holy Spirit convict us, tear us down and build us up, encourage us and strengthen us so that we might live to the praise of your glorious grace. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1, last chapter of 1 Peter. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Dot, dot, dot. So this first word's kind of a puzzle to me, or was kind of a puzzle to me. makes sense now that I've studied it. First word is so. So. Peter is about to give some instructions to elders in the church. And let me just say, just because you're not an elder doesn't mean that there's nothing in this message for you. Of course, later it talks about younger people and all of you. But in these uh, statements and encouragements and commands to elders, there is something for all of us here. Okay, And that's part of why he starts this statement with so. It can be translated as so, therefore, or then. It's a conclusive word, which means that it appeals back to what has been said previously. Well, the immediate prior word was the close of the chapter, chapter 4, which was a call to those who suffer to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. But that doesn't quite click directly into the so. I mean, it was kind of like an addition to what was said before. So the greater overview of the context prior that this so connects to is that judgment is to begin at the household of God. And suffering is the lot of those who call themselves Christians. Now when you take that into consideration, the so makes more sense. Because it's going to call on the elders to eld, I guess, elders eld, deacons deek, right? That's what Don says all the time. This passage is going to call on the elders to lead, to guide, to be elders in light of the truths that suffering is the lot of the Christian and that it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Now again, he's appealing to the elders of the congregations in the cities he referred to at the beginning of the letter, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia to the elders of the congregations in these cities, in these regions, in the individual churches and all those places. And he says that he exhorts the elders among them. 
The word exhort is parakaleo, and it's a feelings-laden word, meaning the one exhorting is passionately entreating the one or the ones being exhorted about something. It's not just a command. It's not just a request. It's a passionate plea to ensure that something gets done. It's a pretty please with a kick to the seat of the pants. So Peter is strongly imploring the elders reading this letter to something. And don't miss Peter's humility here. He introduced himself as an apostle back in chapter 1 verse 1, and here he mentions his eldership. Peter the apostle in the world is Peter the elder in the local church. And as an elder in a local church, Peter is exhorting the elders in these other local churches. He's associating with them while also saying, in a way, if I'm doing it, you should too. And he reinforces his exhortation by identifying himself not just as a fellow elder, but also, quote, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's a He's an apostle, he's a fellow elder, and he's also a witness of the suffering of Christ. Now remember, he's probably writing to people who very well may not have personally witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He's 30 plus years removed from Jesus walking on the earth, and he's writing to people who lived many miles away. Some of these people receiving this letter may have been around and made the religious treks to Jerusalem and personally witnessed what happened to Jesus, but many more probably did not see the Christ with their own eyes, much less witness his sufferings. But Peter did, plus a whole lot more Peter witnessed. Peter the elder is still Peter the apostle. It's both and. And that does give some weight to his exhortation. This is not just somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. This is not just a guy with a good idea. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ who knows what it takes to lead a local congregation based on direct instructions and commands from Jesus himself. There surely is some weight and identification both in this appeal from Peter. Weight and identification. And now watch this. He's not just a fellow elder. He's not just an apostle who witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now that's something, right? So then Peter is again, maybe, exalting himself to make sure that they don't forget his elevated position over them as the Pope or something. Of course not. He had spent most of the first chapter of this letter and some of the second chapter speaking of the glory and the kingdom that was given to these recipients through the gracious gift of God. The kingdom that was being protected for them until they enter into it. The glory that they would share with Christ when they came into the kingdom. And now he's simply saying that he too, as a child of God, will partake in the glory that's going to be revealed just like they will takes me back to that verse that has just echoed in my head and heart since we covered it, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because, the reason I bring that up is the revelation of Jesus Christ is when He will be seen in all of His glory. Peter is saying that like those he's writing to, he too is going to partake in that glory when it's revealed. And actually, if you go back a little bit, Jesus said that these 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But he's not saying that here, but he's definitely going to partake in that glory just like they're going to, just in a different role. He is in this way again reiterating not his lofty position as a special chosen vessel of God whom these readers should count their blessings to know, but rather he's reiterating his position with them as the children of God who are waiting for the final day when all comes to pass and the glory of God is visibly seen by all when Jesus is king and his people are reigning and ruling with him. And so Peter's humility sets the tone for this passage and what we'll cover next week too. But on to the exhortation. Verse 2. Remember he said he was exhorting them, something, these elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, there's a lot going on here, okay? So again, remember, the exhortation is from Peter the Elder, and in my notes it says Pete. I left the R off there. Pete the Elder. Like Pete the Dragon, that's Pete the Elder. Remember, the exhortation is from Peter the Elder to the elders of the churches in these places that he mentioned back in one, uh, chapter 1. And what is the exhortation? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And this is our main idea today. What does it mean for an elder to shepherd the flock of God that is among them? That word for shepherd is poimaino. Happens 11, occurs 11 times in the New Testament. It means to feed, to tend a flock, to keep sheep, to rule or govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body, to supply the requisites for the soul's need. So let's spend a little time here in this definition. The exhortation is to shepherd. And from this definition, shepherding can look different in different times, different places, right? To govern, to furnish pasture, to nourish, to serve the body, to supply for the soul's need. So what are these elders to shepherd? The flock of God that is among you. Let me just stop for a second. This is not in here. But I want to emphasize the importance of the, shepherd, the, the elders shepherding the people in front of them. The local congregation. Not looking for a bigger flock. Not looking for something else. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And there's a little, this, not what this passage is teaching, but there's something for all of us there. Be where your feet are. Be content with your life and the people and the things in your life. Sidebar is over. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Govern, furnish pasture, nourish, serve the body, supply for the soul's needs. The flock of God that is among them. So it's the members of the local church that these elders are serving. The sheep of God's flock who are in the churches in these cities. The elders are to shepherd the members of these local churches. So plug that definition in. I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock, to rule or govern the flock, to furnish pasture for food for the flock, to nourish the flock, to serve the body that is the totality of the flock, to supply the requisites for the souls of the members of the church's needs. So elders are to rule, govern, furnish, nourish, serve the needs and supply the requisites for the souls of the members of the church's needs, the individual needs and the corporate needs. And that's a lot contained in that little word. Peter is calling on the elders to care for the needs and provide nourishment to the individual members and the collective whole of the congregation that they serve in. And so... What all is included in these calls to shepherd the flock, to provide this nourishment, to govern and to lead? How does an elder govern, care for, nourish and supply the needs of the souls of these flocks? And that's important to you because you need to know what's going on here as a non-elder. I don't have my glasses on. You all look funny today. You're fuzzy. Where's Bob? Okay. So, so Don's not here, Bob's not here, so I'm talking to y'all. So does this mean anything for you all? Of course it does. Because you're seeing from Peter's hand, under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how we are supposed to be serving you as elders. And you're supposed to hold us accountable to that. And if there are times when we're not meeting your needs, when we're not nurturing and nourishing you, you need to say, hey... I need some help here. And we as elders are to step up and say, absolutely, because that's our job. Conway Twitty says, that's what I do, right? Some of y'all get that, most of you won't. It's all right. So how does an elder carry out these instructions? Well, if you take into consideration what we learned in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and then Titus, we know what the qualifications of elders are. And the list was mostly about their lives, 
not necessarily what they were to do, which points to being examples as much as anything. And we'll get that in the next verse in a little bit. But we do know that elders have to be able to teach as a function, at the very least. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the local elder Timothy, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths like sheep do. As for you... Timothy, elder in the local church, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so as we look at how elders are to govern, feed, meet needs and such from Peter's exhortation back in 1 Peter, we have to start with the Word. The preaching and the teaching of the Word in order to teach, reprove, rebuke, exhort and such. I can't teach, reprove, rebuke or exhort with anything but the Word of God as an elder. And Peter is calling on these elders to engage and encourage the members of the church by feeding them the meat, bread, and milk of God's Word. And as we'll see, there's more than that, but there is at least that. It has to start there. Shepherding has to include the Word, or the overseers aren't feeding and governing the flock as they should. Peter then goes on to describe the shepherding a little more by saying they should be exercising oversight. That word oversight is episcopeo, episcopal, you might have heard that word before. It's only used two times in the New Testament here in another place, to look diligently and to take the oversight, to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for, of the care of the church which rested upon the elders, to look carefully and to beware. The literal wording is to serve as an overseer. This is the general term for all that needs done to watch the flock. If teaching and preaching are feeding the flock, overseeing is seeing and paying attention to what's going on in the lives of the flock. Watching for enemies, watching for needs that need to be met. It's what shepherds do when they're not walking and leading the sheep to pasture lands to eat. They just generally watch over them to make sure they're safe and healthy. They keep them in their sight. So the full scope of these two items is watch care, feeding, safety, and overall paying attention to. And then Peter says how these things are to be done and how they're not to be done. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now again, this is what elders are supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. So these elders are to do these things not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not under compulsion simply means nobody's making you do it. You're not conscripted to this or bound to it as an elder. Now listen, this is tricky. This is hard. An elder should never serve against his own wishes. He shouldn't be shamed, manipulated, or forced into serving. One of the precursors of being an elder is that the person desires to serve. That's 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. There has to be a desire here. And listen, there are times when we're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. That don't mean it's just like unplug, get them out of here. But that's a good first sign to say, hey, wait a second, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. If there's, you know, come on, we appreciate you, we love you, keep going. That's fine, but if they lose their desire, they don't need to be an elder anymore. And I don't know that we as a body are supposed to encourage people who don't desire it, especially to step into the role. Oh, but you're perfect. You meet all the requirements. Okay, I guess I'll do it. No, may it never be. There has to be desire here. And so Peter's statement in our passage today fills that out. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Note that, willingly as God would have you. There's no points with God for someone serving against their wills as an elder. No martyrs in eldership. Poor me, I just got to fulfill this role. God would have elders serve willingly or not at all. 
And then the verse ends with this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the matter of money is a thing too. Elders are not to serve for shameful gain. Now what does that mean? Does it mean that elders should not be paid for serving? No, it doesn't mean that. As someone who receives money from the church for serving as an elder, you're like, of course you'd say that. But we always interpret the Bible with the Bible, and there are passages that encourage elders to receive remuneration for their service. So being paid is not shameful. What's shameful is when an elder is manipulating the terms of his service out of greed or selfishness. Or teaching things that would make it seem like those under his care owe him more and more and that it's their faithful giving that will make him wealthy. There are plenty of warnings in the New Testament, plenty of examples about teachers sneaking in and milking congregants of their funds. And that's the whole reason these shysters are serving. They just want to pick people's pockets. That's what Peter's saying here. If an elder is serving in order to gain wealth for himself in dishonest, cheating, lying, sneaking, or manipulative ways, that man is not to be an elder. Instead, Peter says, the elder is to serve not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, I kind of feel like that cannot be the opposite. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. But there's a relation here. Eagerly means in a manner showing keen interest or intense desire to do something. The serving is the reward when someone does it eagerly. The pay is not the goal. The money is not the motivation. The serving is the desire. And whatever money comes is appreciated for sure, but the money is never the goal. I just want to serve. I want to fulfill my role because that's what God would have me to do. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Peter's not done yet, though. Verse 3, another juxtaposition. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Hoo-wee. So elders are to shepherd, oversee, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now here, Peter says that elders are to not be domineering over those in your charge, but instead being examples to the flock. Now what does domineering mean? The word means to bring under one's power, to subject oneself, to subdue or master, to hold in subjection, to be master of, to exercise lordship over. The condensed definition is to exercise control over someone as his master. Yeah, don't do that, elders. This is how cults happen. Someone overdevelops their leadership muscle or they overvalue their own ideas or their own enlightened wisdom, and they seek to control everything and everyone because of that. Names pop up. Fred Phelps, Westboro Baptist, Jim Jones, David Koresh, even Charles Manson. And the connection there is glaring, that these religious men would be related with this homicidal killer. But there is a connection These are names tied to men who led groups with an iron fist, with everything funneling through them alone. And the legacy of these men is made of hate, violence, and literally death. One man was domineering over those in their charge. Now it shouldn't have to be said, but biblical elders should not function this way. We are not the branch Jasonians, the branch Donians, the branch... Bobbians, none of the above, fill in the blank, whoever steps into these roles at a later time. But, now I'm going to get a little salty here, how many churches have you been a part of where one man made all the decisions or was the only person who was to be approached if things were to get done? In America, especially modern day America, we've kind of championed a one man pastoral role. And it's not biblical. No one person should be domineering the church, not even a group of people. And no one person is supposed to coerce and maneuver in order to get into a position where they are over everything and everyone. People with agendas like that are not to be elders. Let them start a business or an organization or something, but keep them far away from shepherding God's people. 
Elders instead, Peter says, should not be domineering but be examples to the flock. Now I love this phrase and I'm afraid of it too. As much as I love teaching and preaching and as important as I think those things are, I think this clause epitomizes what it means to be an elder. Being a person who is an example to the people of God as to how to live, how to conduct themselves. And here's the punch in the gut and the kick in the pants I need, I think. If a man cannot say to the church, individually and corporately, live like I live, then they shouldn't be elders. Now don't get me wrong. This is not about the elders being perfect. None of us are. Nobody is. But elders are to evaluate their lives on a continual basis so that they can look into the eyes of those that they are shepherding and say, follow my example. Paul did this. Four quick instances. Watch this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me... Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now let me ask you something. Does that exempt you all from wanting to live that way? Because you're not an elder? Heavens no. We are all to be examples to one another of how to live. And elders in particular are to be look out at the congregation, sit down with them one-on-one, one-on-two, at a congregation and say, imitate me. <clears throat> And there's more examples than what we just read, but what a thought. It's not arrogant, okay? Paul would also say that he hasn't obtained perfection in Philippians, but that he pressed on toward it. But he did say time and again, be like me. And elders should be able to say that. Think like I think. Talk like I talk. Do what I do. None of this, this you know, do as I say, not as I do stuff. That's not eldership. And that, that's rampant in our churches too. I hope it's not here. Well, yeah, things are different because I'm in a different position. No. I can because, no. Be like me. Imitate me. And when they do or say or think things that shouldn't be imitated, they admit it, they confess it, and they forsake it. And there's no place for false humility, ah, shucksing, or deflection here. Peter says they are to be examples to the flock. That word, for example, is tupos, and it means the pattern in conformity to which a thing must be made. It's a representative form or pattern, often for imitation or replication. And elders are to be patterns that others imitate. And while that's a tall order, that's the order. And it's a little weird to stand here and say these things being an elder. But that's exactly what Peter's doing. He is appealing to other elders as an elder himself, calling them to imitate him and therefore to call others to imitate them. What we're doing in all of our Christian walk is imitating other people because hopefully those other people are imitating Christ. And again, it's not a charge to be perfect because we won't be perfect until we see Jesus. Now, Jesus did say in the Sermon on the Mount, in almost, but if we're not careful, becomes a laughable statement, be ye perfect as I'm perfect. But that's the goal. And just because we will never attain to it, this side of heaven, doesn't mean that's not the goal. And so if my goal is perfection, and I'm calling on you to imitate me, Bob and Don are saying imitate me, the goal is perfection. And we'll fall short of it, but you imitate us in our working to attain by the power of the Holy Spirit to that perfection that's going to be given to us in the end times. Not a charge to perfection, but an honest, grace-driven effort to be worth following and replicating. As elders, that would be a great prayer to pray. God, give me the grace to live a life that's worth following and replicating. Don, Bob, if you're listening, and I know you are. This is how an elder is supposed to shepherd the flock entrusted to them. 
Okay, so then what if he does this? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, what a sentence. It is a very serious charge to be an elder. It's important. It's all of life encompassing. I'm not just an elder here on Sunday mornings. I'm an elder when I'm at work Wednesday afternoon. I'm an elder when I'm at home with my family. I'm an elder for this group of people. So it's all encompassing. And it is a grave responsibility. And that doesn't go unnoticed by the one who designed his church to operate this way. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These elders called to shepherd the flock around them are actually under shepherds to the chief shepherd. The word shepherd that was used back in verse 2 when these elders were called to shepherd the flock of God that was among them, what, what kind of word is that? Shepherd the flock. Is it a person, place, or thing? No. That's a noun. It's an action word. So it's a verb, right? So to shepherd there was a verb. It was not a title. The elders are called to shepherd, not be the shepherd. That title belongs to Jesus alone, who said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. Not one of the good shepherds. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as these elders shepherd the flock of God, they are being superintended by Jesus himself. And that means that Jesus himself is going to reward their labor. And when the chief shepherd appears, now there's a danger of this sounding cliche, but Jesus is coming back, y'all. So when Peter refers to the chief shepherd, he is of course referring to Jesus. And when Jesus appears, when he comes back, he's bringing the rewards for those who are his with him. And here, Peter says, that the elders of the churches of Jesus Christ will receive their reward when he arrives. And he says that reward is this, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now what does that mean? Now be careful with this crown stuff. Okay? Is this a reward that only elders get? This unfading crown of glory, like there'll be people walking around in heaven with different crowns. Oh, elder. That guy was an elder on earth. He's got the unfading crown of glory. I know that crown. Well, we all know that all of us who are saved, including elders, are saved because they're what? In Christ. They're not saved because they're elders or not not elders. There's no pecking order, no half-saved or super-saved individuals. And Jesus is our reward for sure, but we've also seen in several passages the concept of rewards in the judgment. The clearest of these is when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15... Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, there's, we're not going to unpack all that today. All are saved, but some have works that pass through the fire and result in rewards. Okay? Well, in other passages, we see that there are other crowns referred to as well. There's the crown of life that is mentioned, the crown of righteousness, and other passages that just refer to a crown. Well, well, I do see the differing amounts of rewards to different people because their works survive the fire, I don't think the different crowns are for different people or different rewards. Okay, Don't get caught up in the different crowns here. Now, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on, y'all. But I think the different references to different crowns are just different ways of describing the result of people's labors. Think of running a race, Paul would say. And Olympic runners at that time would receive a crown made of leaves and flowers and stuff. And he says that that fades away. 
But the crown, the reward for us finishing our race will never fade away. Okay? I don't think the point of this passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter today is that elders get crowns of glory as opposed to another kind of crown. It's not the point. The point is that elders will receive an appropriate reward for their labor and it will never fade or wear out or lose its clear intention of showing forth both God's glory and the reward for those who showed that glory through their lives and labors. The elders reading this were not slapping each other on the back saying, we get the glory crown. They were seeing and responding to receiving a reward that never faded. The crowning achievement of their lives given to them by God himself. And Peter says they will get that from the chief shepherd himself when he appears. And that's worth being faithful for here and now. So don't get caught up in the different crowns. Just know that Peter is encouraging these elders and saying, you'll get your reward for being faithful. And it will never fade. And so, I won't tell you to do this, but if you went home and Googled crowns in the Bible, you're going to read some stuff. It's out there. And they're going to differentiate and tell you how you get the crown of righteousness and how you get the crown of glory. And how... Just don't. It's not the point. Your crown is your reward, and everybody gets a reward. Some people will get more rewards than others, and I don't think it's going to be signified by the kind of crown you're wearing. Okay, anyway. That's over. Now for our last verse. We turn from elders to those under their care. You're like, finally, you're talking to me. I've been talking to you the whole time. If I was talking to you, I'd be talking to you. And it just so happens I was talking to you. But verse 5 really, really talks to you. Likewise, you who are younger, some of you are like, yes, I like that. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for... God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here Peter goes from elders directly to you who are younger. But now look at that precursor. What's the first word in the verse? Likewise. He's not contrasting these two groups, elders and you who are younger, but he's actually putting them in the same boat, so to speak. Just as elders have a role in the body, so do those who aren't elders. And particularly here, Peter's referring to those he calls you who are younger. Now, some would take the you who are younger and say that that means that verses 1 to 4 was not referring to the office of elder, but instead just elder people. But, and stay with me here, the context of verses 1 to 4 shows that he is referring to the ruling elders, not just older people. So then why would he refer here to a specific group of you who are younger? instead of just referring to non-elders. Well, he's going to give a word to all of you in this verse in his appeal to humility. So this first sentence must have a specific purpose. And it seems like the likewise is the key. Okay? So elders have a specific role in the body. All right, you who are younger, and I'm going to say 19 down. That's just my distinction here. Peter doesn't say that, but he's calling on these younger people who maybe feel like, seem like, I don't really have a role here. Of course you do. You've got a role here. You've got many roles here. One of the roles that you have is to be subject to the elders. That's a role. And note that you do that. You be subject to the elders. We're not going to make you subject to us. That's domineering. But as a younger person, subject yourselves to the elders. That's one of the roles that you have here in this church. Likewise, as elders are to eld, younger people are to young. And part of that young, younging, is to be subject to the elders. Now let me ask you this, folks. Again, younger folks. Again, teenagers down. How often do you think... I'm subjecting myself to the elders. Or I should. Or how many times have you prayed, God help me to be subject to the elders of the church? Because you should. And that's not exalting the elders. That's just seeing our role. Just like a a man and a woman's role in a marriage, in the church, elders have a role, 
younger people have a role. And I don't, I, I, can, I can't think of anybody ever talking about this before in my life. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Younger people, this is not a, a spitting on your laughing at you, younger people need more instruction, more guidance, more teaching, more examples to follow. And Peter is calling on these younger people to know and to keep their role to be subject to the elders. That phrase, be subject, is one we've already seen many times in 1 Peter. It means, listen, younger people, to put oneself under, to purposely, purposefully follow. Elders are called to be living lives that are examples, and younger people here are called to choose to follow that example. Younger people here today, be subject to the elders here. Look to the elders and follow their example. And by the grace of God, that example is at least men who have been faithful to the wives of their youth, men who submit to the principles and teachings of the Bible, men who know that they're saved solely by the grace of God, men who have loved and served their children, and men who love and serve this church. And I could go on there, but it starts to feel a little bit weird, actually. It's like me looking out and saying, Hey, y'all, let me be your hero. I can be your hero, baby. No. I can safely say, though, that if my kids, my four kids, who are younger people, I guess Hannah's not a younger person anymore. Sorry, Hannah. You're old and pregnant. So. Sorry. <laughs> but if my kids turn out to be people like Don and Bob, I'm going to be awfully happy. So you who are younger... Be subject to and emulate the elders here in this local assembly. You don't need a celebrity pastor to be like. And then Peter finishes our passage this week with this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now we're not going to cover all this verse. It's going to melt into next week at the end. But here is a command for everyone. We would say, all y'all, right? Clothe yourselves, all of you. Put on, array yourselves with, cover yourself in what? With humility. But not just humility, humility toward one another. Now again, this week we'll just look at the call for all of you to round out our time in this passage. But we'll use this verse going into next week to launch into a look at humility. So that's something to be praying toward. But as for now, whether you're an elder or a younger one or something else that's not those two things, whether you're this or that or anything else, this call is for you. Everybody within the sound of my voice. And what is the call? To clothe yourself with humility toward one another. One part of that phrase can't be complete without the other part of that phrase. This is not just a call to humility. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. It's not just a call to humility. It's a call to be in walking in humility toward one another. That means that we know our place in connection to the whole. We know that the sum is greater than the parts that make it up. We know that we are not the main attraction. I am not. You are not. None of us individually are. Rather, we see others as more important than ourselves, recognizing that my service unto God... Listen, you want to serve God? You want to please God? My service unto God is going to primarily be done with and for His people in the present state of things in the local congregation. You want to serve God? Clothe yourself with humility toward the people in this building. That's the primary way that you're going to do it. And so we seek to fulfill our roles, do our deeds, and lay our lives down. Listen, for the glory of God, for each other.
Why do I do what I do? Hopefully it's for you. Why do you do what you do? Hopefully it's for me and us. That's what Peter's calling on all of y'all to do here. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And we're not going to cover the for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's going to be our springboard into next week. As we seek to fulfill our roles, do our deeds, and lay our lives down, we do so for each other. All of you, all of us. That's the call. So we turn to application. Three whys. Man, I really struggled with application alliteration this week. No matter what I did, there was one category that wouldn't have that letter. Literally, I'm like looking in the dictionary and the thesaurus trying to find a word that means this, and it's not there. The other two do. I got the other two, but the third one's not there. So I went with three whys, and actually I'm pretty stinking happy with them, if you want to know the truth. Here are the application points. (laughs) Yardstick, youth, and y'all. Yardstick, youth, and y'all. And actually, I'm very, very, very happy with the yardstick one. That was the last one I, 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 I just couldn't, you know, it was the youth that I couldn't find anything else for. I just couldn't find anything. Never mind, I won't get into that. Anyway, yardstick, youth, and y'all. First of all, yardstick. What are we talking about there? The elders. The elders among you who are to be the example to the flock. We're bent and crooked deep down, but Don, Bob, and myself are your yardstick. You're welcome. And we have an obligation a direct command from God Himself to shepherd you all, to love you all, to serve you all, to teach you all, to preach to you all, to be an example as to how you should live. just want to read that again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's the charge that we have. And again, your part in that you have application in the yardstick deal, okay? It is right to lovingly approach Don, Bob, or myself and say, I've got some issues. I've got some problems. I see some inconsistencies in your life. Call us to that. Now, you entreat us as you would an older man. And out of respect, and you don't receive an accusation against an elder on the testimony of one person. There's all kinds of examples of how you do this. But to come and love and say, brother, it really bothers me that I see this in your life. And either I explain why that's true or I go, you know what, I'm sorry. And then we confess that to each other to one another, to you all, and say, help us to not let these things pervade in our lives. Let that not be the example that we're showing. Listen, you have full access into my life. And I know that Don and Bob would say the same thing. And if we're not being consistent, if we're doing something that troubles your conscience, by all means, please tell us. And either we show you biblically why we're doing what we're doing, or we say, okay, I hear you, I'm listening In humility, I'm going to receive what you say and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to take action on it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a part to play in that. Real quickly, I did just want to read these passages in Titus and 1 Timothy about the qualifications for elder for those who may be thinking that they may desire that office. Listen, Don, Bob, and myself are going to pass away sometime. This church will long outlast us, thank God, and we need elders. The church will need elders. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. 
And I'm just reading these for the qualifications. That's the only reason. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into, the, into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let me say this. I said earlier that my life is open to you all. Approach my family. Ask them, how's he doing? Does he meet these qualifications? How can we pray for him? Again, you're not trying to catch us. You're not trying to get us. We're going to get him. Talk to my family. Talk to Don and Bob's family. These are our elders, and we need to be examples. And so, please do. Absolutely do. So that's yardstick. Youth, you who are younger. Now listen to me. Again, 19 and under. If I could see clearly, I'd look you in the eye. But I can't. Please listen to me. Okay? I'm I'm entreating you. Youth is not to be used as an excuse for just doing what you want. Youth is not to be used as an excuse of not knowing any better. Youth is not an excuse for disregarding the commands of the Bible. And I'm telling you right now, the culture and society and everything on the internet is telling you that what we're telling you from the Bible is old, antiquated, and not for our time. And they are lying to you. So you can't just say, well, I don't believe that. You may not understand it. You may not know how to apply it. That's what we're here for as the church. From today's passage... Youth, you are explicitly commanded to be subject to the elders of the church. You are to seek to follow them, obey them, and emulate them or imitate them. I would urge you as youth today, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through asking God to help you, set a course for your life now of passionately pursuing your relationship with Jesus in your individual life, in your church life, and in your overall path of life. Do it now. Don't wait till you get older and think you'll get it all together then. You won't. It gets harder when you get older. Trust me. And don't think that you're being robbed of your youth if you obey God's commandments now instead of running with the world. You're not getting robbed. You're sparing yourself pain and scars that will follow you throughout your whole life. That's what you're doing if you decide to follow Jesus now. You're sparing yourself pain now and later. You're investing in your future marriage, the children you may have, the lives you'll touch and share, and you're storing up treasures in heaven now, which will never fade for all eternity. Listen, younger ones, make that decision now. Whether you're 9 or 19. That was the cutoff, right? 19 was the cutoff. Once you hit 20-year-old, so forget about it. Just kidding. And don't just emulate the elders of the church, though that's what our passage today talks about explicitly. The elders of your home are your parents. Listen to me, younger people. Obey your parents. Honor them. Make a choice to do that on purpose today to the glory of God. They are not perfect They will make stupid mistakes. They have made stupid mistakes. I have made stupid mistakes as a parent. Obey them. Honor them. The Bible is clear about this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is a quote from the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? Because they're always right and they'll bust my butt if I don't. For this pleases the Lord. 
Make it your goal to please the Lord. And in seeking to please the Lord, you're going to obey your parents in everything. They're not stupid. I know they get on your nerves and you think they don't know what I'm going through. They do. They know what you're going through because they went through it too. Don't disregard the counsel of your parents. Obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. And yes, look to Don, Bob, and myself and be subject to our governing of the church and entrust yourself to our leadership and our example as well. Make a decision to do that today, younger people, as a result of the commands of the Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you do those things. Yardstick youth and finally y'all. Everyone, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And again, I hate to leave a dot, dot, dot there, but I need to because next week we're talking about humility. And now you're like, you've said that like six times. Well, it's in the passage and I can't get around it, okay? And I don't want you to think that I'm dodging that subject. We'll engage that next week. But you want to know what that looks like? Look at this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, all y'all, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Make that decision today. All y'all, all us, me too, y'all, me, us. Imagine you and me and me and you. In humility towards one another. It doesn't rhyme. And again, we'll deep dive next week into what you, true humility is and what it looks like in action in the church. Lord willing. But suffice it to say today that we are, all of us, all y'all, to live in humility toward each other. All y'all, all the time. What does that look like? We looked at this passage, but the next several verses give us the perfect Example of what this looks like. And we'll probably talk about this next week too. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Let each of you not look to his owners. Have this mind among yourselves. It's the next verse in Philippians 2. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. You want to know what humility looks like? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to or kept for himself, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what true humility looks like. And I love what this says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You say, I don't know that I can do that. He's saying here you can because in Christ you have the same mind that Christ had. And Jesus gave us the example of coming down and being obedient, emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just death, death on a cross. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like much fun, this humility thing. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to know what true humility leads to? It leads to the glory of God the Father. And in emulating Christ, that's our ultimate goal too, and that's what we get. We get the unfading crown of glory when we're faithful, to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Christ, our example, Christ as our chief shepherd, being the model for all of us. Come to him, be subject to him, glory in him, to know true humility and true life and joy. There is no other way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... You have put us in a family. You have put us in a church. You have put us in a group of people who are seeking to glorify you as we serve one another. I pray for us as elders that we would be examples to the flock. I pray for these younger people that they would make that decision and pray to you to help them live out the calling that you have on their lives 
to obey their parents and to be subject to the elders of their church. Help them to forsake the sins of youth. Help them to flee youthful lust. Help them to not just be a teenager who doesn't know any better or a little kid who doesn't know any better. God, may they attempt, may they work in the power that you provide to know who you are and what your commands are and help them to subject themselves to the oversight and rule of the church and the elders so that that might grow up into godliness. And God, may all of us, every single one of us, clothe ourselves with humility toward one another and seek to give you glory as a result. And God, if there be anybody here that doesn't know what this is all about, may they in humility come and confess their need for a Savior, confessing that they are sinners just like everybody is born into this world needing a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior because of his death on the cross, pouring out his blood for the forgiveness for their sins. And may they call upon him in faith, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and receive newness of life in and through Christ. And may we be faithful to what you've given us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, you're dismissed, but stay neat with us if you can.